Greyhound to trap one. Greyhound to trap one. How do you read me? Over. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And I'm Kate. Welcome back, guys. It's good to have you back. So, how are you enjoying Series 12 so far? What, what are your highlights, Kate? Oh, I've really enjoyed the whole thing, actually, but I particularly enjoyed um, last week's episode, the introduction of the, the new mysterious Doctor. That was a real powerful moment for me. I was really delighted for that. And Simon? Yes, so- yeah, I mean, Fugitive was just something else, just wasn't expecting it, it kept away from all the spoilers. And that moment when she broke the glass and then when they uncovered the TARDIS and the, the, the buried TARDIS, the buried police box, I just thought that was amazing. That was a real jaw-dropping moment, wasn't it? Flipping heck, yeah. Even, oh, even oh. then, I wasn't expecting it to actually be the Doctor. Oh, I was almost expecting there to be a Cyberman underneath um, that that grave because we had just a little feed in from Captain Jack about um, the hint about Cybermen so that's what I was kind of thinking would be under there but no we got something even bigger and better yeah yeah absolutely yeah I didn't expect it to sort of feed into the arc at all of the series I I thought it was going to be a sort of generic alien runaway um but yeah, that was that moment was, was absolutely fantastic. Where you got the, the sort of the TARDIS reveal just about the same time as the the Time Lord energy coming out of the um, the break the glass thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, did, it was a beautiful reflection, wasn't it? I did find myself wondering if uh, uh, Chris Chibnall had put Captain Jack in that episode and slightly sort of tease it so that everyone would be focused on that and not anything else to do with the episode. Definitely. Yeah, that's quite possible, isn't it? Because we were sort of expecting something quite big and his arrival, maybe about a third of the way through or something, you thought, oh, that's the huge thing um, that nobody was expecting. Yeah. Um, And then you relaxed a little bit, didn't you? And then, yeah, totally blindsided, yeah. Yeah, that was really well done. Uh, so, Simon, I've been following your brilliant blog and uh, YouTube videos uh, about watching this series uh, with your daughter. It's great. Thank you. Great to see she's enjoying it as well. Yeah, she's really loving it. She wasn't. She wasn't so sure about Praxius, which I thought was really odd because I really enjoyed that one. I thought it was really tense and atmospheric the whole way through. Mm. Yeah, I, I just noticed the Radio Times didn't didn't love it, actually. I just quickly read their review, but I really liked Praxius. I thought that was a really lovely bit of storytelling, actually. Um, I, re- I really liked the scope of it. and the, It was really broad, wasn't it, having those, all those wonderful locations um, from a, across the world drawn, drawn together with that connected. I thought that was really nicely done on a big scale. I liked just the fact that all of the companions had something proper to do, sort of on their own a bit for once. Yes, that was really nice, wasn't it? It was lovely to see Yaz really stepping up and into her own, wasn't it? And taking control of the narrative a bit at times, um, wanting to go back and and search things out and and do more and then taking that huge risk to go off on her own as well. I felt she really did um, step up in that episode, didn't she? Yeah, she sometimes has felt a bit sort of underused in some of the episodes, I've thought. Yeah, he's, he's yeah only... so it's nice nice to see her um, you know, have the chance to shine, wasn't it? Mm. Is anybody else worried about Yaz, though? 
I just feel like um, in the in the opening two parter in Spyfall, um, there was that when she she got sort of trapped in the dimension of the Kasavin, and then afterwards she talked about, oh, I thought I was dead, and and Ryan says I'll never let that happen. Um, it all just seems a little bit foreshadowy, and then um, I felt like in Praxis, it almost had echoes of uh, you know Clara in um, series series nine when she was getting a little bit more, yeah. more adventurous and reckless. Um, and I thought... That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, the scene where oh, she's like, let's, let's follow the teleport thing. I thought, oh, yeah, she's, um, she's maybe a little bit that Clara thing of, um, of being a bit too much like the Doctor. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's dangerous for her. Ah. Uh, yeah. I, I must admit, I got a real Clara vibe from that, of actually, and the word reckless did come into my head too. And I also remembered when um, Matt Smith was the doctor and Rory said to him once that you, you make people want to be brave for you. You make it because they want to live up to your kind of ideals or whatever. And you kind of make people become a bit reckless. And that sort of um, wondering how much he has is wanting to impress the doctor and act up to be like the doctor. And how much of that is actually quite dangerous, as you say. Yeah, definitely. I have I have sort of wondered a few times if they're going to lose someone from the TARDIS team this time. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, it's always a possibility that hangs over us, isn't it? Yeah. But it's been it, it's been stable for quite a while. Mm. Sort of longer than the sort of whole team in the TARDIS has been stable for quite a long time. I think. Yeah, it has, and it seems to work and and build, but it does feel like there's quite a long way to go still with the characters, a lot of possibilities for them, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, who knows what we'll get going forward. The way this series is is pulling the rug as well, I mean, I think we're used to companions leaving at the end of a series, so a a real shocking thing would be, I guess, if somebody left mid-series, that would be another kind of uh, blindsided moment, wouldn't it? Yeah. I could believe that happening. I could see him yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah, who would it be then? Who's your money on? Leave him first then. I struggle to see Yaz going at all, really. I could believe Yaz and 13 travelling together on their own for ages more than I think I could another pairing. Yeah. Mm. So I wonder if, you know, if, if Graham will just get tired of it and Ryan will find something better yeah. for himself. Yeah. But, but I'm worried about Yasa's career, though, as well, because how long can she keep yeah. on going sabbatical <laughs> for, you know? Her inspector is going to start really wanting to pull her back, isn't he? And she's going to come yeah. back three years older, isn't she? Someone's going to start to notice. <laughs> Definitely. One thing I really liked about the episode um, was that the way it started a little differently as well, didn't it? With that voiceover at the beginning. Um, the very beginning of the episode, rather than having a, a teaser partway through, is it, is it just me remembering wrongly, or is that the first time we've seen that kind of setup? Do you know? I think you might be right. I don't recall another voiceover like that for quite a while. No. Yeah. It was. It was a bit it's different, a bit... and we almost we all we were, we went back because we had we missed a bit, um, but, and we, so we went back to the recording and found no, that was the start of the episode, and. I, I like that um, set up in the beginning where you had this mystery man crashing to earth and it just struck me on the second watch that you had this kind of man in trouble crashing to earth, this, this poor pilot. And then you went directly to another shot of what was clearly a troubled man 
crashing through this um, plastic bottles of water. And that just nicely um, met up with the themes of the episode of being kind of connected but separate. And then, of mm. course, the water and the plastic, and then later on we discover the episode is actually about plastic in the water, the plastic in the humans. And I just kind of thought on this second watch, that's a clever little bit of visual storytelling there. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, about the... The, the plastic water bottles in the supermarket yeah. that's a, a brilliant point yeah i think yeah. the the whole the, like the plastic pollution thing is uh makes it feel very relevant and obviously what they couldn't have known when they made the episode was that you know the headlines are full of coronavirus at the moment as well which is actually really worrying so it it makes the episode feel even more pertinent that there's, there's this uh this virus that's uh that's spreading around and you don't know where it's going to pop up and things like that it kind of adds to the unsettledness of it, doesn't it? I did. Both my kids are both like that, oh, coronavirus, we've been hearing about that, you know. And, and of course, these micro um, beads of plastic, they really are in most of us now, aren't they? Mm. We've really got bits, tiny, tiny little bits of plastic in our bodies that we can't really do much about. So it is really quite um, keyed into topical issues, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it's the sort of link to the coronavirus coincidentally as it is i wonder if that contributed to some people being less than keen on the episode as a whole yeah it feels a little bit too uh too real maybe yeah yeah i don't know there was the radio times seemed to think it lacked tension which i I don't agree with actually i thought it was really tense and atmospheric just just all the way through really enjoyed that aspect of it I did, and I, I felt that they held on to the mystery really well, because often they'll you give up the mystery quite soon, but they held on to that and kept you wondering about what's the connection between Adam and Jake, um, you know, how are these two connected? And of course, they're separate, but connected, which was yeah. quite a nice throwback to the beginning bit as well. And then you wonder, how is this two girls roaming? How are they going to actually connect in? So it held on to its mystery really nicely until quite far into the episode. Yeah, definitely, and I think that the scenes uh, when they when they arrive in Hong Kong, there's a lot of tension in those as well because they're sort of creeping around. You know that the the aliens are around there somewhere as well, um, and they were really effective. They were almost like plague doctors, weren't they? They they look look yeah. great. You know, quite a simple design, but um, that not being able to see the faces worked really well for for to, to make them threatening. Well, ever since watching The Empty Child, my daughter has been mortally scared of gas masks. So oh, no. for the first time in quite a while, she was hiding behind a cushion. Oh, bless her, yeah, because that's really quite spooky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think using... Um, it's amazing that it's something that hasn't been used in Doctor Who before, I think, is making birds scary, because... That's like the the brilliant Doctor Who thing, isn't it? Of making the everyday scary, you know, right from in the new series, um, Rose, when Russell T Davies made tried to make wheelie bins scary, so that you know, kind of kids would come out of the house on the, on bin morning, there'd be a row of wheelie bins that look, you know, stretching down the road, and it'd be it'd be scary, and then um, like statues from Blink, uh, that kind of montage at the end. So so and you know, it's quite a common sight, obviously, uh, to see loads of birds in the sky like that, or lined up on a roof or something. I thought it was a, a really effective thing to scare kids with and, and amazing that Doctor Who's never done that before either. It, uh, I, I always thought that making the everyday things scary was a very Stephen Moffat kind of thing. 
mm. that seemed to be in a lot of his episodes as well. And it was interesting to, it did like almost like an homage or something where it was, I, just, I did I agree. I like the, I, the idea of making the everyday thing scary. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, because it, it's like a child's imagination as well, isn't it? Of kind of kind of looking around and imagining that, you know, a lot of birds that you see in the sky are uh, possessed or uh, that the wheelie bins are going to eat you or something. I did did hear a story way back from when the angels were current, and it wasn't something that happened in my house. I will tell you that. But some dad, random dad somewhere, had while his kid was being bathed, had actually moved a statue from the garden <gasps> and put it outside the bathroom. And when, of course, mum and the little kid came out, they were hysteric. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I think the wife probably didn't speak to the husband for some considerable time after that. Well, I happened to go to a, a garden centre the day after I saw Blink. And, of course, they've got garden ornament statues all over the place. I, co- I, I couldn't quite handle it. It was it's still so fresh in my mind. It's, it's, it's big, isn't it? Like you say, it's taking the seed of an idea of something and, and really building it into being something powerful and strange and outworldly. Yeah, definitely. Um, works really well. Um, just pick on something you said before about how it's, it's, um, it's so global as well. I feel like that, that's been a real theme of this series. Although all the episodes have been on Earth, it's been less noticeable maybe than in other series because it's not just been focused on the UK, um, which most series predominantly have been up until now. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've been all over the world with, um, with Spyfall um, and then even Orphan 55 was set in Siberia. This one was set in, uh, in Hong Kong and Peru and all these different places. Uh, it really feels like a, a much more epic global sweep, I think. It, that does feel like something they've not really done before, so that's, that has been quite refreshing. But I don't think I've noticed it, so it's sort of nice to notice it now. Yeah, it does feel like there's a real emphasis on those, this kind of more global, um, and the, the characters were quite diverse in this episode as well, weren't they? So we had a good spread of characters too, and um, I particularly liked um, Suki with her suspiciously well-equipped lab on the Madagascan coast there. <laughs> I was wondering about her quite early on. I was thinking, why have you got that equipment? That's, that just doesn't ring true, really. Um, I, but that was nice to see her. I did spend some time thinking that Suki was going to end up being the Rani. It was, <laughs> the, well, it was the well-equipped lab. Yeah. The fact that, um, you know, I had this idea that she was just out there doing research, so that felt like something that would have happened in this series with all the other things that have been happening. Yeah. That would have been a real twist, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think the fans have been have been speculating about the Rani coming back ever since Doctor Who came back. And and one of these days, Chibnall or another showrunner is going to do it, aren't they? And uh, everyone's going to go, I knew the Rani would come back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a day to see. That would be good. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the other things I picked up when um, the Doctor's talking about the the weird occurrences around the globe. Um, she says about a talking cat in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed not to learn more about the talking cat, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've read Eric Sayward's target novelization of Resurrection of the Daleks. No. There's a very weird bit that isn't in the TV story where a talking cat arrives on Earth with the Doctor in the Dalek time corridor. 
um, and sort of says a few words to the doctor and then disappears. And um, I was wondering if that was a little nod to that, if it's the same cat that's still out there somewhere. <laughs> Ah, interesting. I'll have to look that up. It almost certainly yeah. isn't, but, um, but that's two talking cats uh, quite close together in Doctor Who there. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bit, quite a lot of fun to see that, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, but maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something for later in the series, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the thing, uh, you mentioned um, uh, Suki before. The, the thing I didn't quite get, um, and I've only wa I've watched this twice, but there's still a couple of bits. I didn't get why did she phone the doctor um, to call her back to the lab when she was the baddie? Well, was that so they could get the um, virus, the antidote, working within um, Adam and use him as a bit more of a test subject? Was it around her needing him to come back for that? Or was, was that after that happened? Uh, I suppose if she knew that they'd they'd rescued the astronaut, that would make sense. Yeah, because then they, they devised that plan, didn't they, to try and um, see if they could counteract the virus within him. Yes. Um, I mean, she was, she, that was a pretty evil thing to do, wasn't it? Use the Earth as a giant petri dish to try and um, resolve your species' um, bacterial problems or whatever. Um, yeah, and so, cool. Virus problems with the bacteria, was it with the virus? So, yeah, it's a pretty wicked thing to do, really. Yeah, quite a different alien plan as well to what we normally see. And it's uh, not as much world domination, but but uh, yeah, trying to uh, trying to save our own race, but in a very amoral way or immoral way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we won't, we don't mind too much when characters like that meet and their demise do we because we realise they've done a really terrible thing what what do you think of the whole people exploding aspect of it oh it was a bit Buffy the Vampire Slayer wasn't it really <laughs> I mean I like it's it a really neat way neat cheap way to get rid of people actually isn't it on, on screen I guess and sort of exploding like that that was, that was pretty cool yeah, yeah. I, quite, I quite like the effect of it I thought it worked really well I hadn't thought of the Buffer the Vampire Slayer angle, but it is like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's a neat way of getting rid of the corpses, isn't it? When they uh, when they first um, the the aliens that have, have brought the virus to Earth, uh, when they first uh, pull the mask off, um, and it's kind of a little bit dark, and it's, it's obviously an alien that's covered with the, that sort of growth. Um, but I thought it was the Stenza at first, the first time I saw it, because I, yeah. I thought it was a little bit like Tim Shaw, and it was um, where yeah. you, instead of the teeth in the face, it was like some kind of growth like that over the skin. I thought, oh, it's the Stenza. Yeah, it did look visually, it looked a little like that, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had that thought over here as well. Yeah, because um, they, they built those up a little bit in Series 11, didn't they, where they, they got mentioned in the... Um, the Ghost Monument episode, um, where you know that they had this big empire and stuff. So uh, they're another alien race I keep expecting to, to see again. Um, and they enjoyed the relationship between Jake and Adam. I thought that was really good. Like you say, there was a mystery of how they were connected to begin with. Um, where I thought they were brothers because they looked quite similar. 
Um, I assumed that they were brothers and then felt that, like, felt stupid for thinking that afterwards that I hadn't even considered that they might be married. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice touch. And, of course, it, it really got me worried because I was thinking, once I realised they were a same-sex partnership, I thought, oh, no, one of them's going to die because historically you <laughs> think this terrible trope so much that one of the gay characters ends up dead and I was bury your gaze, it's a real kind of bad trope, isn't it? Oh, please, please don't let one of them die. They've both got to survive. And they kept you on edge with that right until the very last moment, didn't mm. they? I, I absolutely thought they weren't going to go back and rescue him. Yeah. yeah. Did not think they were going to do that. Definitely. Yeah, but I, I, I read somewhere or maybe saw it on Twitter that there was a couple of people were saying, um, okay, how, how come the Doctor can do that? Why didn't she do that or he do that back in time to save Adric from a very similar um, fiery fate? Um, so I saw some kind of thing on Twitter blow up around that. But the, but the response to that that I also saw was, well, actually, it's a, the doctors had a lot of time to perfect their technique. So um, they're a lot older now, so hence they've got more skills and are able to do it. So um, I yeah. guess that maybe answers the question. Much more control over the TARDIS nowadays. Uh, you know, the fifth yeah. doctor couldn't even find Heathrow, could he? Very <laughs> 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 true, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think you're right about the the trope about the uh, the, the same sex relationships. I think, but um, but all there's a lot of doomed sort of love um, across the series because obviously we had Benny and, and Wilma as well this series. Um, so yeah, it, it is nice to see any couple um, actually survive to the end of uh, the end of an episode. Uh, I suppose even at the start, we we, we Grace and Graham, it, you know, it kicked off with that uh, uh, with that tragedy as well, didn't it? The, this era. Yeah. There was a little shadow of that in this episode, wasn't it, when um, Jake said, can you imagine what it's like to be married to somebody that, that magnificent or that terrific? Um, talking, of course, about how great Adam yeah. was as an astronaut. But then I, I just thought I saw Graham thinking, of, yeah, I, I did, my wife was fantastic, and you know, I'm so sorry she's gone, kind of thing. A bit of sadness flitting across his face there, I thought. It was beautifully done, that, wasn't it? Very subtle. Um, really uh, really nice performance from Bradley Walsh. Uh, really really underplayed it, but you knew exactly what was going on, I think. It's a nice sort of role for him, being this sort of, uh, I don't know, older head or emotional support within the group. It's quite nice to see him do that, and he does do it very well. Hmm. I never thought I would get used to somebody calling the Doctor Doc. And he just pulls it off completely, doesn't he? He does it really well, and it just feels completely natural and fine, and, you know, it, it, it's good. Whereas it's not something I thought I would like. It always sort of reminds me in shades of, like, Ace calling the Doctor Professor. It, yeah. it, it always feels like a sort of some kind of reference to that, which I really enjoy that sort of a reference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it shows how much the uh, the doctors chilled out with age as well. That uh, the early doctors wouldn't it wouldn't have stood for it, would they? <laughs> yeah. She's a much more well-rounded character in some ways, isn't she? She's um, she's, she's got a lot of energy about her, um, but but she's got soft, um, softer edges. She's kind of not as spiky as some of the other um, doctors have been in the past, is she? Yeah. I just, I just love watching her on the screen. I think she's really great at, at, at what she's doing there and I really enjoy that aspect of it. She brings that sort of energy to every performance, doesn't she? 
yeah. having a smile around or that, that grin, that kind of um, energised, that I want to find out more, I want to get in there and help and, and kind of sort stuff out. And yeah, it's really great. Yeah, so much enthusiasm and, uh, and energy and uh, um, I really like the way they've brought out the sort of um, like scientist and inventor side back. Maybe, um, you know, we haven't had this as much since, since John Pertwee maybe, that, that side, uh, you know, when she's, uh, she gets the welding goggles on and she's sort of tinkering with things um, and then the, the sort of the shared love of invention with Tesla uh, the, in that episode the other week. I really like that side of the character as well. Yeah. yeah, she had a good bit of chemistry with Tesla, didn't she? You could imagine them running up and inventing things together. Pretty good. So, um, did, did either of you guys dissect birds at school? Not at all. No. <laughs> never, never once. Birds? No, I dissected a rat once. Did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't I've... think I enjoyed it very much. No. <laughs> I think there was a period in schools where it really wasn't done for a while, and I think it does happen a bit more now. Oh, really? I oh. thought it was. Uh, yeah, I thought that wasn't done at all anymore, right? Oh, no, we um, we've been into my daughter's just um, going to be doing alien biology. We went in there and we got our hands inside a heart, and they were yeah. just the valves, and you know, they're really hands-on now. I think there's probably more dissection and hands-on stuff going on in science labs in schools now than there was. Um, when, when I was at school, for sure. Oh, well, I didn't realise that at all. Because um, it reminded me, there's a line in, in the school reunion episode, isn't there? Um, yeah. Uh, where Sarah Jane says something about dissecting rats in school. Um, and Rose sort of says, oh, like, we, you know, they haven't done that in schools for years and years. Um, so I, I think that probably is, uh, is, is what made me think it was, because um, uh, I haven't got kids, that it was something sort of uh, way off in the past. Um, but no, I didn't realise that was um, that was still going on. So is that sort of cow's hearts and things, Kate? Yeah, it was. It was a, I think it was a pig's heart, actually, that um, we got up close and personal with. Wow. Oh, yeah, I, I, I had absolutely no idea. That's why, that's why Ryan doesn't bat an eyelid. <laughs> <That's>, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably a bit different um, with the kind of scary-looking birds in this that um, supposedly absolutely stank as well. That, uh, <laughs> probably a bit different how they do it in schools. He, he stepped up the mark pretty well, though, didn't he, Ryan? He was quite prepared to have a go. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't have fancied that. <laughs> so, yeah. Not a, not a glamorous part of the, uh, the friend of the doctor role. <laughs> no, so knee-deep in a whole load of waste searching for dead birds. Not very yeah. nice. Okay. Um, so that was another nice visual that I felt really matched in with the um, themes of the episodes when you went from kind of the, the bottles of plastic through to the kind of oceans of plastic that were laying on the side of the beautiful river when we first met the two girls roaming. Um, and that, it was a horrible sight, wasn't it, um, to see this lovely landscape being destroyed by all this plastic. But it, it matched in quite nicely with the, the themes of the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I think the first time I watched it, because um, they said they weren't going to camp there, I thought they'd camped somewhere else, and then more plastic had appeared like it was part of the, the plot, but I think they, they did just end up camping in the middle of it, didn't they? Yeah. 
Um, we yeah. Had, uh, what, what was the one that disappeared called? Uh, Jamila, I think. Jamila, yeah. Yeah, so she just sort of followed Gabriella, whatever she was doing in the end. Yeah. So that was a nice touch in building up the characters. Hmm. Yeah, but was, you could hear sort of flies buzzing around all this rubbish and that as well. I think um, I think I would have pitched the tent a little bit further away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can believe travelling through space and time in a box that's bigger on the inside than the outside. Yeah. But I can't believe two girls camping <laughs> in that load of mess. <laughs> uh, the other thing I think in, in this series I've noticed, um, it feels like we're getting a lot more guest characters in the TARDIS. More people sort of permitted to go inside. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, which um, you get some some really nice. You get a lot more of the TARDIS reactions, which and I, I never get tired of. I, I, I you know the, uh, the the different ways that people react to seeing the interior. Um, and I thought the shot of uh, Ryan and uh, it's Gabrielle, isn't it? Um, when they're sitting, just sort of talking about what's happened. Um, with the, the TARDIS console uh, in the background. I thought that was a really, really nice shot. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was a really... And it's sort of... The way that the TARDIS is lit and the way that it looks now really sort of set a really interesting mood in that moment. Mm. Yeah. It's really nice. Imagine being a travel blogger and, and having all that kind of world of adventure and then suddenly you're stepping into this amazing space that's kind of so much bigger than you could possibly imagine it would be really quite shocking wouldn't it yeah definitely i um i, I thought she was going to want to travel with them uh, she gave a little hint of that at the end didn't she she sort of said oh you know come back come back and see us sometime mm. she didn't try and um, ask to come along did she no that's that's where i thought it was heading because uh, of her love of travel and all that sort of stuff yeah uh, but she ends up in, uh, she, um, is it Madagascar where they are at the end? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that was the, that was just one thing that didn't feel, because they just, the doctor just left them in Madagascar. Yeah. Seemed a bit, seemed a bit rude. I hope they had the passport yeah. with them. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> flipping the, uh, was it Jake that was the astronaut? Well, he wouldn't have had his passport, would he? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I do need to know how do we think he got his phone to, in order to text his partner at that point? Mm. Yeah, mm. that bit was never <clears throat> never quite explained, was it? No, no. There's some things that you just have to kind of wave your hand at, don't you? And you go up, we'll just let that one go. Yeah, because it seemed like it was going to be um, a trap for Jake. Uh, when he when he's setting the location, but <coughs> I, I, I did feel really happy for um, Jake when he finally got to kick a door down. He was first, and he was this sort of guy who's always wanted to crack a sledgehammer with a nut, isn't he? No, yeah, that's the other way. He's the sort of guy who wants to um, crack a nut with a sledgehammer, and he kicked that first door when he had no hope, did he, of, of opening a door like that with his his big left foot. Uh, but finally, later on, he did actually get to burst his way through into a building. Satisfy himself. <laughs> yeah, I think um, John Feedenby uh, on Twitter said that he's like this century's Duggan from City of Death, uh, which fits quite nicely. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, because I think he's a, he's a martial artist in real life, isn't he? The I can't quite remember the actor's name, but I think he was. Um, I can't remember which martial art, but I think he was like a British or world champion at it before he took up acting. Uh, right. Oh, that explains a bit. Then, yeah. Because uh, I think he, the first thing I saw him on, he was he was in the early seasons of Luther, wasn't he? I think he was sort of Luther's partner. And uh, you know, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, the series. Yeah, and then he's done um, quite a bit of work with Big Finish since then. He he uh, plays um, a unit soldier um, in the uh, the unit series with um, with Kate Stewart and Osgood. Uh, so if uh, if anyone recognises his voice, that's uh, that's where he's from. Uh, I thought I, I thought I recognised him, but I wasn't sure where from. But yeah, he was certainly burly enough to uh, knock down a door or two, wasn't he? Yeah. And rugby stole a, a poor young fellow in the, in the store at the beginning. Yeah. Definitely. And I think what we were saying before about not, um, you know, thinking that they were brothers, I think it's the because they've got such an antagonistic relationship um, when they first meet that, that doesn't make you think, um, that they're an estranged couple uh, it makes you think maybe the brothers that have drifted apart or, or don't really get on, uh, you know, or mates or something like that. So, uh, yeah. But then uh, as, it, as it unfolds and you learn that you know why that it's um, obviously one of them's incredibly adventurous, has gone on to become an astronaut, and then the other one doesn't even like to travel abroad. It's uh, you can see why uh, where they where they ended up where they are. Which of course makes it even more um, unfortunate that the doctor just left him in Madagascar, doesn't yeah. it? Really? <laughs> of, course, of course, that could be the point of leaving him in Madagascar to really make him have to actually travel. <clears throat> yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so he's, um, maybe he'll get the bug for it now. Now he's um, started his adventure. Yeah, uh, and it shows the strength of the bond that he, he travelled to Hong Kong. Uh, you know, when uh, when he was in in trouble like that. Yeah, absolutely. When the chips are down, you can really do more than you think you can, yeah. can't you? Uh, but, um, hopefully Adam's let the authorities know where he is so they can call off the searches, the search parties and yeah. the divers. <laughs> Although it does make you wonder why Adam chose to reach out to Jake, the one person he knew had already been unreliable and doesn't travel well. So, <laughs> the most sensible person to, to ask to rescue, really, isn't he? Yeah, rather than the ESA or someone like that, yeah. I must have just been the first person that um, that came to mind, or uh, the only person whose number he knew. <laughs> I reckon he's yeah. all speak, Kyle, that was the yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> it comes up as an unknown number, so I guess maybe he just grabbed the phone when he could, or... Because I don't think we quite know. We know that the, um, uh, the the sort of pulse knocked out the the shuttle, don't we? That uh, or the uh, the uh, capsule that he was um, re-entering the atmosphere in. I suppose we don't quite know then how quickly or where the aliens snatched him to experiment on him. Yeah. <laughs> Whether he actually crashed into the ocean, or whether they took him before? Do you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. At what point uh, did you know? Did he have the opportunity to send a text or anything? 
Yeah. It's like, oh, this is so much to, to cram into the running time. Um, you know, because even uh, it is right into the action, like you say, it's kind of uh, in media res, isn't it, with all the companions already off on their various missions. Um, but there's still there's so many characters and different threads to uh, to pull together. Yeah, and there are, like, like I said, there's some things you, with, with Doctor Who particularly, you just have to sort of accept, don't you, as um, mm. kind of, well, that, that happened and that's part of the storytelling, really. Yeah. Slightly reminded me of the Virgin New Adventures, that idea of, of the companions being sent off on missions on their own like this. Uh, I don't know if either of you have read any of those, but um, when it was sort of like Benny and Chris and Roz, uh, you know, often you get a, a book that would start where they were already on different planets to each other investigating things for the Doctor. Well, I haven't read any of those, but yeah, that, that's a, that was nice to see them doing that. And of course, again, they were separate but connected, which ties into that, that voiceover because they were off doing their own thing, but they were all connected with their... Dots that they had under there. That, that, yeah. that was an odd thing, the com dot, the sort of the, the idea of the implant on them. I, I found that a slightly unsettling, but I don't know, I'm not sure. Is that the first time we've seen those? I don't remember them from before. Was they not were they not in series eleven? Um I don't remember. I kinda kind of rang a vague bell, but I can't think. I think they're quite useful, but I agree with you, it could be quite unsettling, but, but they're um, quite useful, like having to track Yaz off when she's disappearing and teleporting herself to some random location that could be anywhere in the universe. Yeah. Um, I guess the Doctor being able to track her and keep tabs on was quite handy. It does make sense for the Doctor to have invented something to, uh, to be able to find the companions, because... Uh, um, you know, it's been said many times in Doctor Who stories, they always wander off when they're told not to and that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, don't wander off. What yeah. some... She's just finally had enough. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, might as well put geolocating trackers in them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did feel sorry for Yaz when she ended up under what she thought was some alien planet somewhere and actually turned out to be under the Indian Ocean, didn't it? She was so disappointed. Yeah. I <laughs> and that echoed um, the, the little bit in Orphan 55, didn't it, where where she arrived and says uh, and tells them that they're actually on a on a planet where there's a big force field around them, just like a minute after they've already discovered that themselves. Um, so it's that thing of uh, again, she thought she's discovered something, but 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 hasn't. Seems to be a little bit of maybe a running theme for this series. Yeah. Maybe she'll get. Maybe she's working up for something in a big moment of, of discovering something really new. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it'd be like um, the boy who cried wolf, and she'll think, "Oh, well, it won't be anything new." <laughs> uh, but it will be next time. I did find myself thinking the other day that I think I'd quite like an evil companion. You know, in the way that sort of Turlo. Pardon. Sorry. Another Turlo, you mean? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, another Turlo. So someone secretly working against the Doctor. I, d I did find myself wondering if that would be an interesting sort of change of pace. Not suggesting that anyone's doing that, but I sort of did feel that that might be an interesting thing. But, yeah. 
Yeah, if, yeah. Um, if one of them had been hypnotised by the master in Spyfall or something like that. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, that would that'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? And again, it was Yaz that seemed to be getting close to the master in, in that story. Um, so yeah, it would be, it'd be a, great, a great twist, wouldn't it, if, um, if that had been going on. Yeah, it would be. Mm. That was another shocker for me, actually, it turned out to be the, the master. And you know, the last couple of times the master's popped up, afterwards I thought to myself, I should have known that was the master, but I just had no clue. And again, it really blindsided me. Yeah, absolutely. I just had no expectation of that at all. Mm. I just thought it was wonderful as it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. And, and I thought they'd, um, I think I said this on the Spyfall podcast, I thought there'd be a longer gap between uh, between Missy and the next incarnation. So I think that yeah. I wasn't even looking out for it um, was another reason why it was such a big surprise. In a way in which sort of Chris Chibnall spent Series 11 not really, well, not returning any monsters or anything, you almost kind of got it into your head that he was against that. And so then, bang, Episode 1, Series 12, Master, sorted. Yeah. Uh, And then the Jadoon in... in, uh, We've got Cybermen later on. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the total opposite, isn't it, of the last series? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the previous series, um, mm. but I felt this one has gone up a level as well. I, I think the storytelling is kind of clearer and um, more impactful this season. Um, not to say I didn't enjoy the last season because I, I did, but um, this feels like it's gone up, up a notch to me. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think I've enjoyed it more. Mm. Yeah, I think having an arc, is, uh, yeah, I think we said this before in here, um, it just it just takes it up a notch um, because you're back to looking for clues through the episodes and, and, and guessing from what's happened, what might happen, uh, that you don't get with the standalone episodes. Yeah, it feels like they're um, using a bit of a slightly different storytelling style. There was a little bit of um, the Doctor explaining things about the plot um, in the first season, which I think kind of just kills the pace slightly. Um, and this season, it's all kind of you're seeing what's going on. There isn't quite so much of that exposition, which I think is nice. The writer, I think, of this episode, was that the same person who wrote Kabam last season? Yeah, yeah, that was the same guy. Yeah, Pete McTeague, I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise. I got a vibe, but I, and then I looked it up and thought, oh, perhaps it's the same guy. Um, and I, I think I, I enjoyed Kabam. Um, but I think I like this one slightly more because it seemed to really stick with its theme and stick with its message really well. Mm. I thought the, the anti-exploitation message in Kabam never quite really worked its way through to the end. I was never really sure whether we were supposed to um, be on Kabam's side or not with the organisation. Um, with this, you came out quite clearly that you, you know we've really got to step up as human beings and start looking after the planet otherwise we're gonna have trouble you know definitely yeah um see seems like he's a real hardcore doctor who fan as well um seen him on the um is it the i can't remember which one it is now on the you know the new blu-ray collections that come out he's he does some commentaries with i think it's joyce joy wilkinson and phil and collinson I forget who the other fella is phil collinson isn't it the producer from the rtd era 
Yeah, and the um, uh, on the I've got the series ten. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's season ten. Yeah. It's really nice because the intercut between um, I forget all of the actors' names, but it's it's Katie Manning and uh, Benton and uh, um, Richard Franklin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when they cut between those two groups of people watching them, like the fans and the people who were in it, I think that makes for a really nice sort of sort of documentary on those episodes. I think that works really well. So it's nice to see that a sort of a big fan fighting for it and doing, and doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you often get the people who are in it being slightly self-deprecating and then the, uh, the fans really raving about it, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah. You get a nice perspective. And, um, I've seen a couple of things that, um, Pete McTeague has written as well, um, for Doctor Who magazine. And I think the, the Doctor Who magazine special about the target books, um, he, he wrote a bit in there about, about his love of the Target books from childhood as well, and it seems like he's a real lifelong uh, fan of the show. Um, when someone's a fan of a show, they just bring a real sparkle to it, don't they? And the, some of the little nods that are so nice for us to pick out as fans, at least regs, they can lace them in nicely, can't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if he's going to be um, a potential future showrunner as well because I think he's—I um, might be wrong about this. I think he's—is he, is he showrunner or, or at least one of the head writers on um, Wentworth? Do you know? I think you're right. Now that you've said that, I think I think that might be right. I think he's run something. Yeah. So. Hopefully he's got, uh, and it, you know, his obvious love of the show, uh, and he's got that that background and that experience. Uh, you know, maybe in uh, you know three years or so, if um, if Jim was looking to hang his hat up, uh, you know, maybe he'd be a... interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. If you're loving the show, to to take something like this on, um, yeah, because it seems if, if it's just if it's just a job, it's 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 not going to be the same, is it? Really no. need that passion for the, the actual show to really bring that out and and make it just something as special as it continues to be. Yeah, because you get the sense from uh, interviews with Russell T Davis and Stephen Moffat, it's all encompassing, isn't it? It's uh, you know it's your entire life because if you're not writing, you're editing other scripts or you know watching the um, the, the the rushes or promoting the show. It just it takes over everything. So you'd, you've got to love it, I think. Yeah, and to honour its history as well, while still looking forward to create something that's fresh and new, you know, I think that that's such a skill, isn't it? It's so difficult thing to do. You've got to have real passion to do it. So thanks very much, guys. Thank uh, you. Thank you for thank making you. the time. Thank you, you're welcome. It's been yeah. a pleasure to be back again. No problem. We'll, we'll get you back again soon, I hope. Uh, Lovely. Where can our listeners find you both on the internet? Uh, I'm... Uh, on on Twitter uh, at dad daughter doctor with the doctor being dr and that's where I sort of post most stuff really. And I'm just on Twitter at Kate Kate Pearl Kate Pearl seventeen. Um, I haven't got a lot going on at the moment, but I'm I'm always happy to chat to Doctor Who fans. Brilliant. I will link to those in the show notes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Quark McMalis and follow the podcast at trop one underscore. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.